Well, good morning. It's week two. Here we are regathering. And uh, it was so great to be back together as a church family last weekend for those worshiping with us in person. And uh, give glory to God for that. Also, we want to welcome those who are worshiping online with us. And just uh, we pray that wherever you might be worshiping, whoever you might be worshiping with, that we'll just continue to find meaningful ways to worship God together. And we just want to say thanks for engaging with us in this uh, crazy time that's happening all around us. And we really hope that we're kind of emerging out of this fog of worldwide pandemic and maybe just beginning to make progress as we uh, move forward. We did want to let you know that this coming Saturday is July 4th. I hope you bought your fireworks. Also, it's also the beginning of phase five of Reopen Indiana. And simply what that means is there will no longer be a capacity for large group gatherings. And how that impacts us as a congregation is that we're still uh, being asked to wear facial coverings. We're still being asked to practice social gathering or uh, social spacing. And so what that means is we're going to encourage you to still RSVP to let us know which service you'll be working worshiping with us at. We'll continue to provide all the safety precautions. And also we wanted to let you know that we begin uh, game planning about what it looks like to, to really engage with families of young children. We know that this has been a really crazy time without having our normal programming for children and for youth. We hope that you as families are taking advantage of the things we're providing online. But this weekend we're also providing busy bags. And so if you are here with a young family or in our West Campus, I hope that you picked one of those up and uh, that might help them enjoy our service together a little bit more. I want to let you know there's no judgment for any adults who find themselves coloring during my sermon, okay? No judgment, you just enjoy. It might keep you awake instead of, uh, you know, uh, sleeping like normal. So anyway, we just are really excited to continue regathering and uh, thanks for being here in worship today. You know, there's a phenomenon that happened around the Heller house that I wanted to let you know about. The three ladies in our house, my wife and two daughters, are all starting to sound exactly alike. I mean, normally when I call one of them, I use Siri or one of their speed dial numbers, but I start to second guess myself when I hear their voice when they pick up, hello, and I'm like, which one is this? Is this my wife, my daughter, or my other daughter? If I'm sitting in a room where they are not and I hear someone talking in the other room, I really have to listen carefully to see like, who is it that's talking right now? It may be a sign of old age. Maybe my hearing's going bad. Maybe they're maturing or maybe it's a combination of all of that. But here's what I do know. Like knowing who you're talking to or who's talking to you is really, really important in any relationship. And if you get that confused, it can be disastrous. Okay, I'm not going to tell any stories about that today, maybe in the future, but I'm just saying be very careful to know who is speaking and who you're speaking to. You know, we're continuing our year-long journey through the Gospel of John, trying to learn how to live and love like Jesus. And today we're going to pick up in John chapter 10. If you have a copy of the Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there with me. You know, uh, Jesus has been walking through his ministry and we see him engaging with lots of different type of people. We see him in all kinds of different situations and we can learn a lot from him as our example to follow as he is fulfilling his identity as Messiah, as Savior, as Lord. And we can also just by watching him interact with people, take a lot of cues about how we could really learn to love people, but also how to learn to love God. 
Now, as you might know, when the original manuscripts are found of scripture, they didn't contain any chapter numbers or any verse numbers. Those are really helpful for us to have an address to turn to when we're studying the Bible together, or maybe to remember where something is found. But they can also cause a little bit of confusion when you see them. They kind of interrupt sometimes the story that's happening or maybe even a, a continual thought. And we're going to see that today as we kind of transition from John 9 into John chapter 10. In John chapter 9 last week, we witnessed Jesus perform a miraculous uh, healing of a man who had been born blind. Jesus told the man, first of all, he spit on the ground, he made some mud, he put that mud on his eyes, and then he told that man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And when that man obeyed, his eyes were opened. And we see that as a, a very powerful mo moment in the life of Jesus. In fact, it was one of the signs John records to say that Jesus truly is who he said he is. Now, the religious leaders, they were blinded to the identity of who Jesus was because they were so focused and fixated on the fact that Jesus had performed this miracle on the Sabbath day. That broke their man-made laws. They labeled Jesus a sinner and they doubted his identity and his mission. So ironically, while this man who was born blind is receiving his sight physically and also coming to faith in Jesus spiritually, these spiritual leaders are becoming more and more blind because of their own prideful, like selfish spirit that was inhibiting them from accepting Jesus for who he is. I want to check out how Jesus addresses these religious leaders. It's actually in John chapter 9, verse 39, and it kind of segues right into John chapter 10. Listen to what Jesus says to these religious leaders. John 9, 39. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into the world so that the blind will see and those who will see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and they asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. As we learned last week, that spiritual blindness refers to those who are in darkness because they do not believe in who Jesus is. Jesus came to open our eyes, to bring us light, to bring revelation, to bring direction and salvation. And those who think they can see like the religious leaders, they inevitably reject the light because of their pride and also because of just a willful stubbornness to accept Jesus for who he is. The blind who come to sight are those who admit their helplessness and they understand and trust Jesus for salvation. Those who see and become blind, well, because of their self-trust and pride, it keeps them from seeing Jesus and his wonders that he's performing. Jesus continues to address the spiritual blindness by the religious leaders by telling them a parable. And in this parable, he reveals himself again for who he is. And he also speaks clearly about who they are. And that's where we pick up in John chapter 10, verse one. Let's continue reading verses one through six. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. 
but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus often used very familiar activities or items to illustrate powerful truths. Sheep herding in the ancient world was very familiar. There were sheep herding that happened in the villages and also on the Palestinian countryside. Most every family owned a couple head of sheep and some owned large flocks. The setting for this parable was actually within a village. And I want you to picture this. There's these small homes. And outside a home is a small, like, walled uh, courtyard. And that's where a few head of sheep were kept. Now, because there were only a couple sheep per family, it was kind of unjustified for one family to have a shepherd. And so what would happen in these villages is one shepherd would be shared among many families. And every day when the sheep needed to go out and graze in the pasture, this hired shepherd, often a son or maybe just somebody, a stranger they had hired, but was familiar to the family, was familiar to the sheep. They would walk through the village and they would go from courtyard to courtyard collecting the sheep and they would follow the shepherd out to the countryside. Now, in this parable, Jesus explains some things about this shepherding. He says, like, you know, there is a, a, a person who's the gatekeeper and they kind of open the gate, let the shepherd in and they let the sheep out. There's also like a gate that functions for safety and security. And there's these people named thieves and robbers. And those are important to the story as well. One who is not a shepherd, who maybe has ulterior motives, would not be allowed through the gate. In fact, they would climb over the wall because they had something uh, malicious in mind, whether for the sheep owner or for the sheep themselves. In this little parable, we watch a glimpse of what shepherding looked like in the ancient world. We meet these people and let me just kind of unpack them for you. First, there's the thief. Jesus uses thief and robber. They're actually the exact same word and they have the exact same motive. They enter the sheep pen from another way other than the gate. They don't have permission to interact with the sheep and they have harm in mind in their intent. The gate, the gate keeps the sheep safe. It provides protection and security. The shepherd always enters by the gate. The sheep know his voice. He calls the sheep by name and he leads them out. They're not driven forcefully like by a, an, another animal or, or by prodding. He just walks in front of the sheep and they know him so well they follow him trusting and gladly. The sheep follow him. There's also the watchman or the word Jesus uses as gatekeeper. He keeps the sheep safe. He lets the sheep out and he, he lets the shepherd in. And then there's the sheep. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. They follow him. Jesus says they won't follow a stranger. Actually, they'll flee from a stranger. Now, I got to see all this unfold firsthand while visiting Kenya multiple times with my family. In fact, my friends in Kenya who are herdsmen, they don't herd sheep, they actually herd goats. And so they were so proud of their goats, they wanted, to, wanted me to see their flocks. And so we would go to a large area that literally had hundreds of goats. And what was true about that herd there is there were many uh, people who owned those goats and they were all mixed in together. But my friend, when he was pointing out his goats, he knew exactly which one everyone was. He had some names for those sheep. In fact, he'd pull out his cell phone and he would show me pictures of his goats on his cell phone. That's the type of relationship that my friends have with their goats in Kenya. 
Now, I grew up in rural Kentucky. I did not grow up on a farm though. I was never part of FFA. I was never part of 4-H. I'm not real familiar with animals and I'll be honest, I'm not real interested in animals. Now, my family has a dog. My dog's name is Shadrach. We named the dog Shadrach because it was a great tool that when my daughters bring boyfriends home and they say, oh, that's a cute dog, what's his name? I say, Shadrach. And they're like, that's a weird name. Where'd you find that? I know that boy's not been in Sunday school very much. And so having a pet is, you know, multi-purpose in this regard. Now, like I said, I'm not real interested in animals. I, you know, I don't mistreat our dog. Our dog is very kind to our family, especially to Cade, who once put him in his backpack to take him to school for show and tell. I mean, the dog's been around for 13 years and is extremely patient. But even though I'm not real interested in animals, I can track with the story that Jesus is telling about a shepherd and sheep and a robber and a thief and a gate. It's interesting that John records in verse six that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were kind of scratching their head, kind of acting like they didn't know what Jesus was talking about. It was not a sign of ignorance. I think it was a sign of defiance. It was a, a willful stubbornness on their part to even engage with Jesus and their eyes to be open. So from verse seven to verse 18, Jesus kind of lifts the veil on what he's been talking about and again reveals his identity. And he also points out exactly who they are. Follow along as we continue reading in John chapter 10 now in verse seven. Therefore, because they were so confused, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man who runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay, lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now in this moment, Jesus clearly identifies who he is, who the religious leaders are in this parable. He also draws a clear picture of who the sheep are and how they respond to the shepherd. Jesus says first, I am the gate. It's his third I am statement. He says, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. And now he says, I am the gate. I bring salvation, Jesus says. I bring good to the sheep. I lead them out to pasture. I'm providing for them. I give them life to the full. All that comes because Jesus is the gate. He says to the religious leaders, you are the robbers and thieves. Now, these religious leaders were only concerned about themselves. Their aim was to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus earlier in chapter 8, verse 44, has compared the religious leaders to Satan himself. 
They have the same intent as Satan, as what Jesus is saying to them, not some flattering words. He makes another I am statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I know the sheep and the sheep know me. I unite the flock from various pens, Jesus says. I willingly care for the sheep. Nobody forces me. I have the authority to lay my life down and pick it back up again. And I do that on behalf of the sheep. And then Jesus says, there's a hired hand. That person abandons the sheep when trouble comes. They don't really care for the sheep. They're interested only in wages. Now this concept of shepherd, well, it's very familiar and has a deeper significance in scripture than just um, literal animal care. In the Old Testament, the shepherd was an image representative of the relationship that God has with his people. Psalm 23 and also Psalm 80 verse one, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. There's a very personal connection with God in this way. In Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11, Isaiah says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that are young. Then Ezekiel chapter 34, it actually contrasts what a good shepherd looks like and what a bad shepherd looks like. In Ezekiel chapter 34, the second part, listen to what he describes as God being the shepherd. In verse 11, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As the shepherd looks after his scattered flocks when he's with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. Must be a morning like today. I will bring them out of the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in the settlements in the land. I will tend them in good pasture in the mountain, on the mountain heights of Israel, where there will be their gazing land. They, there they will lie down and in good grazing land, and there they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down declares the sovereign Lord. I'll search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. I think that's a picture of what it looks like to be a good shepherd. And the word good there can be translated beautiful or superior, true, genuine, or only. Shepherd was also the image of the leader or king that God has anointed to be a caregiver for his people. Moses was described as a shepherd. If you remember Moses' story, he fled Egypt after killing an Egyptian. And then he becomes a shepherd for 40 years. It was like training ground so that he could become the shepherd of God's people. The quintessential shepherd in the Old Testament, you probably know, is King David, who was literally a shepherd, but he was actually trained by God to shepherd his people. Psalm 78 verses 70 and 70 through 72 says that God chose David, his servant. He took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. I love the moment where uh, David talks to King Saul before going out and fighting Goliath. And he recounts in 2 Samuel verse 17, a moment where there had been a lion and a bear that had attacked his dad's flocks. And David with his bare hands had defended the sheep against this threat. 
That again is a picture of what it looks like to be a good shepherd. But maybe most importantly, this shepherd image was associated with the Messiah who would come. Matthew 5 verses 2 through 4 has this prophecy. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. That passage is quoted by the Magi when they come looking for this king who had been born. And Jesus is a fulfillment of this prophecy. Mark 6 verse 34 records that when Jesus, right before he feeds the 5,000 men on a mountainside, he looked at the people as a shepherd looks as his sheep. We see in Jesus the identity of a shepherd. He's equal with God. He's chosen to lead and provide for God's people as Messiah and as Savior. If this is true, then how should you and I respond? Well, we must recognize that we are sheep and we are completely dependent on Jesus as shepherd. Psalm 23 is one of the most requested passages read at a funeral because we get this image of a, a loving shepherd kind of cuddling a sheep in his arm, providing comfort and care, offering protection. And that's very true. But I think we often miss what the real concept of shepherd is. Shepherding was hard work. It was tiring. It was risky. It was demanding work. We often soften or reduce this image of a shepherd. And I think that, that we have to be careful because we need to learn that sheep are not stupid. They're completely dependent on their shepherd. Research says that if, a sh if any other animal is kind of left to itself, they often become wild and can care for themselves, but not sheep. In fact, it's a known fact that if a sheep it was just in the backyard and got on its back, it is unable to get itself back upright and on its feet. That's why it's completely dependent on the shepherd. The sheep cannot provide for themselves. They, they would starve if they didn't have the care for a shepherd. And so I don't think it's any accident that we're described as the sheep of God's pasture. Jesus compares the relationship that the shepherd has with the sheep to the relationship that he shares with God. And it's also indicative of the same kind of relationship that we have with Jesus. To recognize the voice of Jesus is really important. And so that's where this sheep image comes to full fruition. Most people want the protection of a shepherd but we don't necessarily want the direction of the shepherd. But Psalm 23 reminds us that his rod and his staff, they protect and guide. The rod is used for correction. The staff is used for um, direction. So as sheep, we have some responsibility. And the first is this, we must know the shepherd's voice. Six times in John chapter 10, Jesus stresses how the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. A sheep is vulnerable, but not stupid. It can recognize the voice of, a, of its shepherd and distinguish that voice from the voice of a stranger. How do you and I distinguish the voice of Jesus as our shepherd? By spending time with him. The shepherd and the sheep knew each other because they spent hours upon hours, days upon days, months upon months, years upon years with each other. You could say that they were intimately connected with each other. 
And that's the same relationship that we should have with our shepherd. To recognize the voice of our shepherd, we have been given the Bible, we've been given the Holy Spirit, we have the counsel of other believers. I still believe that God reveals himself to us in dreams, in promptings, and also in visions. And I also believe that God uses circumstances to direct our paths and to speak to us. I wonder which of those have been most helpful to you as you try to tune your ears into what God is saying. If last week we looked at our vision being the problem, then this week we have to kind of tune our ears to hear the voice of our shepherd. I also wonder which of those you might need to develop, you might need to nurture in your life so that you can hear clearly from your shepherd. I need to make a confession. I often feel these promptings from the Holy Spirit and last weekend was one of those times. I left Crossroads after the 11 o'clock service, was heading out with my mom and dad and my family to grab some lunch at our house. And we passed a young lady sitting on the bench right out in front of our Newburgh campus. And I said, are you having a good day? And she said, eh, it's okay. And she explained to me that she has, doesn't have, uh, she has joint custody with her daughter, shared with her daughter's father. And because it was Father's Day, her daughter was going to be spending the weekend with her father. She was gone at that time. And the mom was having a hard moment with that. It was supposed to be her weekend to have her daughter, but deferred because of Father's Day. And in the moment as she's talking to me, everything in me was as if the voice of the Lord was saying, invite her to come to lunch. I mean, she's alone on Father's Day. There's all kinds of just crazy situation going on in her life. Just ask her if she wants to join you from lunch. I'm sure you'll have plenty. And I kept walking directly to my car. I got in and went straight home. And all week as I've thought about what it feels like to listen to the voice of the shepherd as a sheep, I knew that in that moment I heard him. I just didn't obey or follow. Don't follow my example in that situation. When, when the Lord is speaking to you, whether it's through scripture or through the spirit or through some prompting or through the counsel of godly trusted uh, counselors, then listen and obey. We've tried over the past uh, several months as we've been going through this COVID season to really fast and pray, listening for what God is trying to say to us as a church. I hope that you've been listening to what God has to say about how we can all individually go to the next level of living and loving like Jesus. How can we do that as families? How can we do that as a church family? At a prayer gathering uh, two Fridays ago, I shared just a little bit about how we feel like God might be speaking to us as a church. You know, during this season of time, God has really been deconstructing what the, the Western image is of the church. We so much are lazy as Christians in this Western world, thinking that when we show up at 9, 11, 5.30 or some worship service, that we're going to church. But church is not a, a destination. It's not a location. It's not a time slot in our week. The church is something that we are. We are the church. And church is something that we do, not somewhere we go. And God's been just deconstructing about what it looks like for you and I to really be the church and not just do church. We want that to change as we move out of this COVID season. Not ironically, but providentially, we also feel that God has been breaking our hearts for the racial, racial tension and the prejudice that still exists in our world today. 
And certainly that can be a black white issue, but it can also wreak havoc in all kinds of relationships. And God's been breaking our heart. He's been asking us to consider what it looks like to not just learn, but to lead as we think about what could look differently in our church, in this community, in our world. We're gonna continue listening and we hope to have the courage to obey. John 10, verse 27, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus is very clear. We're not only meant to listen, but to follow. But he also shows us what happens when we do. Jesus says, when you listen to the voice of the shepherd, you can experience life to the full. Life is a theme all throughout John. Not physical life, but more importantly, spiritual life, eternal life, life to the full. And this life to the full, this abundant life, is for those who place their faith in Jesus and experience what he came to bring us, the fulfillment of God's mission. We're restored to our original intent, just like we were created in the image of God. And Andreas Kostenberger from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, listen to what he says about this. Jesus' promise of abundant life begins in the here and now. Jesus calls his followers not to adore lifeless, miserable existence that squashes the human potential, but to a rich, full, joyful life, one overflowing with meaningful activity under the personal favor and blessing of God and in continual fellowship with his people. If a Baptist can describe it that way, it must really be true. And so I would encourage you to lean into it. We must recognize and appreciate that this abundant life comes at the sacrifice of the shepherd laying down his life. Four times Jesus says that a good shepherd, the good shepherd that he is, lays down his life for his sheep. John 15 verse 13 says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for one's friend. First John chapter three, verse 16, another 316 passage that talks about how much God loves us. John says this in his first John epistle. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and for our sisters. We see the ultimate expression of Jesus' identity and mission as Messiah, Savior, and Shepherd by the fact that he chooses to lay down his life for the sheep. This was not a common occurrence in the ancient world, a shepherd like giving up his life for the sheep, but that's what makes Jesus a good shepherd. And it defines good in such a powerful way. It's the ultimate expression of love. Jesus is perfectly clear that he lays down his life willingly. In fact, it's better translated instead of, instead of for. It reminds us what Paul says to the Philippians in chapter two, verse six through eight. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice to express the greatest expression of love and to give us the fullest measure of life. My question for many of you today is, have you ever accepted that gift of abundant life, eternal life in Jesus? Are you hearing the voice of the shepherd calling you right now? If so, regardless where you're worshiping from, I would encourage you to text the word now. Text the word now to 812-858-8668. Let us help you hear clearly the voice of the shepherd who says, come follow me, 
who offers you eternal life, abundant life, life to the full. We must listen to the voice of the shepherd. We find when we do abundant life, life eternal. But we also, once we have found this life, we must live and love differently. We must also let God's priorities be our priorities. And tucked away in this passage in John 10, I saw something this week that I'd really never seen before. I could have stood up here and talked about the great shepherd and even the the gate of Jesus. But I had never seen John 10 verse 16. Let me read it for you. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. We're gonna see it more when we read in John 17, but something that's dear to the heart of God is unity. I think when we hear the voice of the shepherd, when we've tasted this abundant life, we have a responsibility to join God's passion, his commitment, his work to bringing unity to our families, to our community, and certainly to his church. I think this reference in John 10 verse 16 is a clear restatement that Jesus is the savior of the world. Just like in John 3, 16, it says, whoever believes in him will be saved. And in John 17, Jesus prays that all who do believe in him would be one, just like Jesus and God are one. We can no longer let divisions exist in our marriages, in our families, in this community, and certainly in God's church. I mean, the religious leaders, they were pious and they were divisive instead of being sacrificial and servant-hearted. Jesus describes them as robbers and thieves because they were destroying the work of God instead of adding to it or building it up. You know, one of the most positive things of COVID-19 in this season has been what is happening among the church of Evansville. I've had more conversation in the past three and a half months with other church leaders and other kingdom-minded people than I've had in the first nine months of returning back to Evansville. The fact that the pastor at First Christian and Epworth United Methodist and Living Word Christian Church and the fact that churches like One Life and Bethel and CFC and also predominantly black churches that are more in the inner city are working together That's a work that only God can do and it must continue. And we as his church must join him in what he's doing. I don't think it's accidental that COVID-19 brought us together so that we could work through these prejudices that still exist in our community. And as your church leaders here at Crossroads, we're trying to learn, we're trying to listen, we're trying to engage in the conversation. We're trying to nurture and build deeper relationships with those people who look different from us because that honors God. And that reflects his heart and it reflects his love. It's what he's doing in the world around us. And we only have one choice and that's to follow our shepherd, to listen to his voice and to join him in what he's doing. And one of these learning opportunities that was a luncheon put on by Fort Evansville, a great ministry here in our community, uniting the church, uniting the community around a common cause of what this place could look like if heaven did really exist here on earth, if we got a taste of heaven. At that luncheon, the director of urban development from the city of Evansville gave a long lecture about the history of prejudice that has existed in the Evansville community, actually in Southern Indiana. 
And when he was finished after about 35 minutes of, of showing us slides from uh, old newspapers to tell us stories of, of people who lost their life because of the color of their skin, the, the feeling I had inside of me was only parallel to when I watched the Twin Towers collapse in New York City. When I watched the Passion of the Christ for the first time. When I visited Auschwitz in Poland, the, the concentration camp, the same gut-wrenching, punch-in-the-gut feeling I had as I heard him share that, what happened right here on the soil which we live and stand today. But I was encouraged that the next speaker, a guy named Ubi in Tuwo, he, he, he cast a vision for what the church could do in this moment. And it reminded us that for the church, this is not a justice issue, it's a reconciliation issue. That justice has to be a, a pit stop on the way toward what true reconciliation looks like. And that's a responsibility not left to government leaders. That's a responsibility left to you and I who are not doing, who are not going to church, but are the church. And he reminded us of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. This is what Paul says. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who should live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Unity in our marriages, in our families, and in the body of Christ and in this community is essential. And it's also possible. And we must let the work of reconciliation start in us, but can't stop there. It must work through us. You know, if Psalm 23 is the most popular verse you hear at funerals, well, 1 Corinthians 13 is the most popular verse you hear at a wedding, right? But the context of 1 Corinthians 13 was never a husband and wife relationship. It actually is in the context of Paul describing what unity in the body of Christ should look like and how to nurture it. And that's why he says that love is patient, it's kind, does not envy, does not boast, keeps no records of wrong. Those are the type of things that a person who's following the shepherd lives out. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your parenting. It'll change the way we relate in this community. It'll change the way we relate in God's church. And it has to, because Jesus is the good shepherd. And we as his sheep, we follow his voice. If we don't, we're listening to people who are robbers and thieves, whose intent is to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, trust me, I came to bring you life and life to the fullest. So when we hear the voice of the shepherd, we can find abundant life in him. And when we're to work toward unity in our marriages, in our family, in this community, and in this church, we do so by following the good shepherd as well. And by doing that, this world can see a picture of who Jesus is. When we listen to the voice of Jesus, we can experience life to the full by following the example of the good shepherd. And we and we love the way that Jesus does, sacrificially and selflessly. We begin to nurture the unity of which is very important to him for which he prays for. And the same way is by doing it, by following the voice and example of our shepherd. Would you pray with me? God, there's a lot to uh, comprehend in 
the fact that you're the gate, that you're the shepherd. And God, we know that we have listened to other voices in the past. Most of those voices have left us frustrated, disappointed, hopeless, empty. And God, that's why it's so important to recognize your voice, whether it's through reading your word and scripture, hearing the Holy Spirit prompt and speak to us, whether it's through the the wise counsel of godly friends, whether it's through the circumstances that play out that we see you leading and guiding and protecting. God, I pray that we would hear your voice. And God, I pray that we would taste and see that you're good, that we would experience this eternal life, life to the fullest. It would flow over in our life. And God, I pray that it would spill out in our marriages, in our families, in this community, God, in this church, in your church, God. God, there's no secret about it. There's just wise direction that we find from your word. And that wise direction says to follow the shepherd. So God, I pray that we would not just hear, but we would follow. And as we do, God, that you would continue to shape and mold our heart to be a reflection of what it looks like to be a good shepherd, that this world could follow our example by the way that we live in love. And they would see you in us. They'd come to know you and experience life, true life, abundant life, eternal life. And God, we pray this through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.